Hey everyone, it's Justin. Welcome to Mayday. And a very special interview with writer from The Handmaid's Tale and writer of this episode, episode 12, Postpartum. We are interviewing Eric Tuckman. Eric, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, thank you. All right, well, thank you for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to uh, join us for the podcast. Uh, so, That's looking perfect. at, I uh, wanted to talk right off the bat a couple things um, that we've noticed. Um, looking at your resume, and much like we uh, interviewed Yaling Chang last week, and you have some history with Mr. Bruce Miller, who is the showrunner for The Handmaid's Tale. So, uh, tell us how you came to be involved with that, and if Bruce was the one that kind of brought you into the fold, and uh, why did he think you would be a good fit for this show when he pitched it to you? Well, Clearly, I have some uh, some dirt on Bruce, some compromising photos that I keep <laughs> locked up to leverage for my next job. Because yes, Bruce is 100% the reason why I'm involved with the show. I, I had the good fortune of working with Bruce on two other shows, uh, both for the Sci-Fi Channel, Eureka and Alphas, along with a, a few other writers who came along with me to work with Bruce, uh, who are handmates Kira Snyder and uh, John Herrera and Nina. So I had a wonderful time working with Bruce on those two shows, and we then went our separate ways to work on other projects, and I got an email out of the blue from Bruce that had a script attached to it, and it was the pilot for The Handmaid's Tale. And I didn't know anything about his involvement at that time, and it wasn't even picked up to be a series by Hulu yet. And he just sent it to me and said, what do you think? And I read the pilot, and... As you know, it's fantastic. Okay. I loved it. And I said, yes, please, please. I'd love to be involved. It's exactly the kind of uh, material I'd, I'd love to work uh, with you on. And uh, because of my connection to Bruce, I, I managed to, to get this job. So I feel very, very lucky. That's fantastic. So we were doing a little research and uh, looking way back in your resume. Uh, you had a little stint as a writer mm -hmm. on Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman, which I thought was very interesting given the uh, <laughs> the proliferation of strong female characters in this show. So talk about that experience and any other experience from your, your past that kind of lends itself to helping you for this show. Sure. Well, you've, you've now aged me, Justin. Thank you. <laughs> now everyone knows I'm the dinosaur of the staff. But yes, um, Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman was my first uh job as a TV writer. I'd actually worked in the feature world when I first came out to LA for a number of years. And even then, uh, my focus was always on the very strong female characters in my original work and on assignments. And I was always drawn to enjoy writing um, women. I just feel like it's uh, women characters, as women tend to be, are, are much more expressive and emotional, and you get to write a full range of emotions. So I had this opportunity to move into the TV uh, world and the creator showrunner of Dr. Quinn, Beth Sullivan is a very strong woman herself. And she gave me uh, a chance to learn about and participate in every aspect of TV production. So I have only wonderful things to say about my Dr. Quinn experience. And yes, Dr. Quinn was a strong, outspoken, progressive, uh, female character and she wasn't the only one in, in that cast. It was a great ensemble of characters. So there are a number of, of different types of women to to write for and I, I just loved it. And I think every subsequent assignment or show, again I've been drawn to writing strong females. So I think it's all been kind of a journey that got me to this particular show, which has just been the pinnacle. It's just been amazing to uh, to write these characters in yeah. this world from everyone we've talked to that's been involved the show just seems to be 
universal in saying that it's unlike anything they've ever worked on before. So true, so true. I think even without the, the recognition that the show has gotten and how much it's resonated with people, just the experience itself, the work experience, has been so satisfying. It's, everybody involved takes um, their job very seriously without taking themselves too seriously. It's, it's a fun place to work, um, but everybody's bringing their A game, so it's really inspiring and gratifying to be involved. Well, it sounds like it. I think it's really shown in the work you guys have done in both of the seasons. I wanted to get into a little bit of the nuts and bolts of this episode, if we can, and mm-hmm. really wanted to sure. kind of take it just character by character and see what we can find out from you uh, as the writer of the episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, so June is mm-hmm. pretty interesting in this episode, uh, especially in the beginning. She's once again uh, thrust back into the Red Center as Serena is want to not let her be at home with the baby. Talk about that decision to take her from having this beautiful moment at the end of the last episode where she's with the baby and thrusting her back into this, one of the worst places you can be alive anyway, in Gilead. Talk about that decision. Well, as you said, uh, June is coming off of uh, the previous episode where she had this extraordinary triumph, really, in a way, giving birth to the baby by herself, isolated, and it's it's empowering, and uh, it was a grueling experience, but she comes out victorious, and at the very next moment, the next episode, we see her once again slapped down by the Gilead system and by Serena's resentment, and she's stuck in the Red Center, forbidden to see her child, once again being used as kind of a just a vessel, uh, a milk dispenser. Um, that's all she is. So it, it's, a, it's provided a really strong contrast right away between the two episodes. Fortunately for her, um, her nursing the baby is the only reason she's able to get back into the Waterford house, which we as viewers, I think, want to see what the, the fallout is for the arrival of this baby that everybody's been waiting to see for the entire season. And then we get all the delicious stuff that's happening in the household between Alfred and uh, Serena and the other characters. One thing I did find interesting is that in the scene where Fred shows up with the baby, and she's not really expecting that, obviously, the initial reaction of her is uh, not to have any part of the baby. And I wondered if that was just a gut reaction from her, or that was a, from a writer's standpoint, is that her just trying to kind of distance herself mentally from the fact that she doesn't think she's ever going to be able to be with the child? It's so interesting that you zeroed in on that moment, because we talked about it a lot in the writer's room, and there's a lot of conflicting emotions going on for June at that moment. She's been isolated from the baby and shocked to find the baby there with, with Waterford. She's afraid to even approach the child because she knows, she assumes that she's going to be torn away from it and it's going to be painful, yet she desperately wants to hold the baby. So there's all this stuff going on. And, and the, the ace in our pocket for a moment like that is Elizabeth Moss, because you could Give her a moment that has all those layers, and she will hit every note. She is phenomenal. I mean, it's just you can see it in the performance, all those different things that are going on in her head. She has them going on sometimes all at once. So as a writer, um, you're worried, well, are they really going to capture the essence of what that moment's about? And there's never a doubt with Lizzie Moss. She's just extraordinary. Especially in this episode, she's got to go in so many different directions emotionally. It was a pretty great performance. One place she does yeah. go, and one thing she seems to kind of unintentionally maybe set into motion is this uh, happening with Eden, uh, where she, her and Eden are right. having this discussion in the kitchen, and she tells her that in Gilead, you should find love wherever you can find it. 
Um, and I kind of found That's that right. interesting because that is true for basically all, uh, should be true for everyone in Gilead because of a terrible place it is, but all the women for sure. And definitely June with having to have her family ripped away from her, but, you know, finding Nick. And so I thought it was interesting that she kind of set that in motion, but also has this common ground with Eden. And I wanted to see if you could talk to us a little bit about that moment. Sure. Well, June, of course, doesn't realize that she's pushing Eden. Uh, she's unknowingly pushing her to run off with Isaac. She's just giving her sort of overall advice. Uh, but I think it's it's a moment like that where when she says that you have to, I think she says you have to grab love where you can find it in this place. I think it really highlights the hope that June and that the series continues to uphold despite all the brutality in Gilead. It's so important that these characters, these women, cling to any sign of um, relief or connection or love. So, yeah, I, I, she does find that, that uh, connection with Eden. Unfortunately, Eden takes that advice and runs with it in a way that gets her in some big trouble. Definitely. Uh, next person we have to talk about, and if I could spend an entire podcast talking about this, I, I would. But Yvonne Strahovski's performance this episode and this season overall has just been next level kind of stuff. I want to <laughs> talk about what it takes as a writer to make an audience two episodes removed from her conceiving of and aiding in the raping of a pregnant woman to still yes. make us feel some kind of emotion for her. Tell us what that what uh, goes into that. Well, you know, I, I couldn't agree with you more about Yvonne. I could, I could gush about every member of our cast for an entire podcast, but I agree with you that Yvonne's work this season especially is just phenomenal. I'm her biggest fan, and it's extraordinary what she does because as writers we could hope to write a complicated, layered character who's not just a villain, but without Yvonne's performance, uh, none of it would work. So what's amazing about what she does, I think, is she can make you love her and hate her within the same scene. You know, she, she, she finds the depth and the humanity beneath some of the more despicable things that Serena does. And I think the viewer really sees the, the hurt and the pain and the loneliness and yearning that um, Yvonne suggests so beautifully beneath what is sometimes a very brittle and cruel character. She's just fantastic. And, and when she and Lizzie in particular have scenes together, it's dynamite. I mean, you, you really can't go wrong. Absolutely. Two of the scenes in this particular episode that stand out to me. Uh, first was the scene where she sort of does this mock breastfeeding of the baby, which mm -hmm. It caught me totally off guard. Now, when the scene started and she closed the door and came back in a robe, I was like, oh, I think I know where this is going. And then the other scene would be the pool scene where she doesn't even have any lines. And again, just conveys right. in a way I haven't even seen from her because we haven't really seen right. Serena do too much reacting in this way. And it's just this utter horror right. of this situation. So she is completely blown away by what is happening. So talk to me about the breastfeeding yeah. scene, first of all, because even writing that, I, that's a very sensitive thing to have to especially as a guy writing the episode and i know you have a number sure, of women in the sure. writer's room talk about that writing process for both of those and just seeing those play out on screen and being just blown away by that sure well as you can imagine it's it's just thrilling to see um your work interpreted in this way and you know for the breastfeeding a breastfeeding uh scene that's one of the scenes where in the writer's room when we come up with it it's very exciting because it's generated out of character it really it shows serena's desperation to connect with this child in, in an intimate way and then ultimately realizing that she's just 
falls short. She's inadequate. It's something that she cannot do that Offred can do. But it's also something I don't think we've seen on TV before. It's it's one of those scenes that maybe there's something out there, but I don't remember ever seeing a scene like that. And because of the nature of the scene, then you think, oh, well, is Yvonne going to be okay with this? But of course she is because she's such a brave actress. She knows that it's not something we're doing to be salacious. It's something to reveal a vulnerability in Serena that's really important. So then to see her play what on the page is really just a description of the process that she's going through as she's trying to nurse this child or at least comfort this crying baby, to see her do it and so exquisitely, it, it's fantastic. And then the, the pool scene, for me, uh, all of the actors, including Yvonne, just, it just reminds me of what magical creatures, actors, great actors are, because I, I picture myself, maybe you, Justin, if you were sitting in, the, in a crowd in bleachers with a camera pointed on at you and right. everybody watching you and, and you're told on command, basically, to react to something off camera that's probably not happening at the time. Right. Imagine two people being drowned in a pool and then to come through with such a powerful, powerful, believable reaction. And as you said, it's, it's a, a reaction that we haven't really seen from Serena. She's been caught up in this blissful bubble with her baby all episodes. She doesn't want anything to intrude on her happiness. And here she's confronted with such senseless brutality with a character that she cares about and, and really didn't pay enough attention to. So Yvonne's reaction, everybody's reaction in that scene, I think, is, is really uh, effective. It was just an incredibly powerful scene altogether. And the scene leading up to that in the locker room between Eden and Nick was just fantastic. So let's talk about Eden, because uh, this poor character. Uh, I mean, if you have uh, spent any time on any social media that has to do with The Handmaid's Tale, you know that the, this know. character, more than any, has really polarized people. And I feel that the internet yeah. officially owes Eden an apology, because I think there were a lot of people that were worried. <laughs> were worried, I mean, not without reason, that she was going to be the downfall of June or Nick or someone in the show for doing something and ratting them out through Gilead. But she turns out to be just, like, the purest thing in Gilead. Like, And so I just thought it was an incredible turn to not do the cliched thing, which is to take this new character and make him turn against the loved characters of the show. So talk about that process. Well, you know, it's easy to see why people may have thought she was the one who was going to make trouble. You know, she, she's the one who suggested Nick might be a gender traitor. She found that batch of letters that he was hiding. There's a shot of her watching the handmaids in the market share their real names. And you think, uh-oh, this, this uh, young girl is going to be the one to stir up some problems uh, for June and Nick. And seems to be pointing that way. And, of course, we know what happened to her. She does have a big impact, but in not the way that we expect. But, you know, she, she is a pure, innocent soul who was raised by the rules and doctrine of Gilead, and she's you know, swallowed the Kool-Aid <laughs> in her formative years, and she is trying to live her life the way Gilead has taught her. She wants to be true to herself and, and true to God, which means God knows what's in her heart, and her heart tells her, I want to be with Isaac, I'm in love with Isaac, and anything else would be lying to God, and she accepts her fate, and it's a, it's a really horrible but noble death for her. I think that last scene uh, in the locker room between her and Nick, which I have to credit 
our wonderful director, Dana Reed, for um, encouraging me to revise a number of times um, to really dig deeper and, and push Nick to show his frustration with Eden and really connect with her and fight for her. And it's just so poignant to see the two of them finally, finally achieve some kind of honesty and, and um, intimacy, but only because she's about to be executed. Right. So it's, it's devastating. And the two actors, Max and Sydney, are just heartbreaking. Absolutely. I think something you said there was interesting in, in Eden, you know, saying that she can't lie to God about what's in her heart. And I think there's something there, a little bit of her kind of acknowledging that what's going on in Gilead is wrong in the situation that she's in. Well, I'm not saying that, you know, outright yes. and out loud. Yes. I mean, she is calling out the hypocrisy of the whole system. She's really the only honest person in the whole community. She's the only one being true to herself, honoring the, the, the precepts that Gilead has set out. So, yeah, I think uh, she's very aware. She's the uh, one taking the fall. So let's get to Nick. And I think it's very interesting because, you know, we see him go from being very excited about seeing their the baby with him and June sharing that that scene talking about running away you know obviously very fantastical in their discussion of it knowing that that's probably never going to be possible but then we also see Nick kind of come to the realization that I think some of the viewers have come to is that uh, he never even like shined it on a little bit for Eden to help her have any semblance of this life that she was living and maybe could have avoided yeah, yeah. some of where we're at and I wonder too lastly does Nick's backstory which we haven't got a ton of, but we know he had a brother, I think, that was had some substance issues and that he probably, at least, it seems to be alluding to that he couldn't save from those issues and that Nick has a lot of loss in his yeah. backstory. Um, if that yes. ultimately plays a lot of role in the way the episode ends with him kind of getting up and walking away just because he's mm -hmm. already lost so many people in his life. Yeah, that's a very interesting uh, connection that he made. Uh, I hadn't thought about that before. You know, we've seen Nick... Uh, is plays things very close to the vest and he's cautious, uh, doesn't really reveal his emotions easily. Even with June, it's taken him a, a while to open up to her at all. He is carrying, I think, a lot of guilt for what happened with Eden. And he recognizes that he, he treated her coldly um, and, and apologizes to her, asks for her forgiveness in that locker room scene. Even though they weren't close as a married couple. They were married. They were intimate together, and he has a connection to her that no one else in the household does. So the, her death really hits him hard. Even when uh, June reaches out to him, literally reaches out to him to comfort him, to share in their grief, he can't. because she, she doesn't understand his experience of the loss either. And I think it sets him up um, for the finale uh, in an interesting way, you know, what, how is the, what's the fallout going to be for him after Eden's death? He's such an interesting character because he does hold so much back that we're just like, what is going on inside of Nick? Uh, so right. let's, let's get to Fred. Um, I have a lot of opinions about Fred as a character in general, and I would just first and foremost like to know, do you guys like have a wheel of creepy lines that you like spin and you just huh. stop and say, hey, that's the one we're going to use this week? Just, is there a creepy Fred line specialist <laughs> like that you go to, like somebody that really you know specializes in, in, the, in the creepy stuff that he says? Because it is just like no matter what comes out of his mouth, it is just the creepiest thing ever. Yes, we have an office pool who can, who can tap each other with uh, a creepy Fred line. But um, you know what? To be honest, um, I, I have to give so much credit to Joe Fines. For, for how he 
plays this part. I don't think Joe gets enough recognition because he is, he's fantastic. And what makes him so great as an actor is he's so thoughtful in how he approaches everything. And down to, to the word, he really wants to make sure that Fred isn't just a monster. And at least for, from Fred's own perspective, that he's doing things with a purpose, not just to be evil or cruel. And I'll just give you an example. There's that scene where he and uh, Offred find each other in the kitchen at night and she's stealing a sniff of the baby clothes. And Mm -hmm. he comes in and there's a line where he asks her about the reunion with Hannah that he set up in the previous uh, couple of episodes. And in the script, it said, how was your little reunion? And on the day, Joe said, you know, I don't think you should say little reunion because you know, his intentions were really good, even if they were misguided. His intentions were good in setting up that meeting with her daughter. And why is he being dismissive of of that experience? He's genuinely interested in knowing how it went. And, you know, he, he was right. You know, it's, 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 the line became, how was your reunion? Which is all it, it's very, very different. However, then, of course, just a few lines later, he's wanting payback for that exactly. reunion. He wants, you know, about the thanks I get, all the thanks I get. So, you know, he, he can flip on a dime. But um, I just, you know, think that Joe walks a very tough line to make sure that Fred feels like a real person and not just someone who's there twirling his mustache. Right. And I, I actually did kind of come to that realization over the last two episodes, both with him asking her about the reunion and you can tell he's sincere about it. And also when him and Serena last episode are just going at it and he's talking about how Nick would never betray him. And you're like, wow, this guy really doesn't know and really does think Uh, like everything is on the up and up and that he, everything he's doing is for the reason he's doing it. And that's, that kind of blew my mind a little bit that, yeah, he's creepy because he has those tendencies to, you know, at the worst possible moments, that there's a good moment to try and get with June. I was just blown away by that. Yes, poor, poor oblivious Fred. You know, <laughs> he just doesn't realize, um, he, you know, it, it's Fred's world and everyone else is just living in it. He just doesn't appreciate the impact of some of his decisions. And uh, I think it is a shock to him that Nick and Offred would not like him and want to run away at the very first possibility. So, you know, like Yvonne does with, Serena, you know, for at least a brief moment, you feel for this guy. God, he meant well right. in his twisted way. Yeah, it's 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 very interesting. A couple more we got here. So it, we finally, having Bradley Whitford be mentioned as a cast member, uh, everyone was kind of like, well, mm-hmm. when are we going to get to see him? Uh, so you're saving him here for the end. And putting him with Alexis Bledel, it was kind of a mm-hmm. nice, nice move here because these are two incredible actors who kind of face off on screen here a little bit. In this episode, and I, I got to be honest, I have mm-hmm. no idea where this is going. I all <laughs> along have said since the beginning uh, when the trailers were coming out, I was like, I don't think that Emily's going to make it through this season, just because of the. Oh, I know, and, and I, you know, I would love to see more Alexis Bledel. Don't get me wrong; I hope I'm wrong. I'm just, right. just the trajectory of her mental state and her attitude towards yeah. Gilead did not exactly point to uh, longevity. No, no, yeah, I could see why you would put that those puzzle pieces together that way. Well, you know, when we first knew that Bradley Whitford was cast, we were so excited because he's such a fantastic actor and he's so surprising in, in his choices as an actor, which 
makes him ideal for Commander Lawrence. We, we've met other commanders. We, of course, know Waterford very well. But Commander Lawrence is quite different, and you know, he is powerful. We established him as one of the architects of the Gilead's economy. But we see right away when um, Emily and Lydia walk into the house that this is totally different vibes than the Waterfree house. It's uh, eclectic and messy, and there's uh, naked paintings on the wall, and how priceless Ann Dowd's reaction Oh, my gosh. Ann Dowd just looking at, like, in this combo of shock and amazement at everything oh. around her. Yes, and Alexis, too. It's uh, it's so perfect for Emily's character at this point because, she's, like you said, she's been through so many grueling experiences, and she's walking into our new house. She doesn't know what to expect, and what she gets is a very disorienting, unnerving experience because she can't tell if this guy Lawrence is going to be uh, another torturer or is he just an oddball he keeps her off balance which i think is is so effective and and bradley whitford plays this guy both with um you know some really sly humor yet you feel the threat underneath so there he is busting her for reading in his house almost right off the bat and reminding her of the punishment for reading but he doesn't follow through with anything. He just right. walks away. So she's left thinking, all right, what, what the hell am I, what have I gotten into here? So it really um, sets us up for lots of mystery and questions as we move into the finale. And that, that was a great scene. We do have a little bit of a, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, a little bit of a Jane Eyre thing going on here with uh, the mysterious wife upstairs. Yeah. And uh, uh, whether or not she ends up burning the house down remains to be seen. But I just thought that was interesting. It's like, oh, oh, secret wife upstairs. Interesting. Yes, yeah. There is a little. There's a Bruce didn't want it to. Bruce Miller didn't want it to feel too gothic, but you can't deny that it is kind of the kind of the crazy wife in the attic vibe going on. And uh, Julie Dretz and the actress is so um, impactful, even in her very brief scene. But she is a loose cannon. You know, she she reveals to Emily Lawrence's role in establishing the colony, the very place that Emily was victimized. So why is he bringing a handmaid from the colonies into his house? It's just more mystery. And uh, and you see the way that Lawrence deals with his wife. And mm-hmm. one moment he's kind of harsh with her and then very tender. And then he throws her into her room and, and, and holds the door shut. So you're just not sure about this guy. You're just not sure what his, his aim is. Yeah, you definitely kept us on our toes, just like uh, Emily is on her toes for sure. All right, so you mentioned her, but I think we need to get a little bit into Miss Ann Dowd's character here. Lydia, uh, mm-hmm. we've seen a little bit of a transformation with Lydia, at least some insight into the inner workings of Aunt Lydia, who very much puts on the towing line face for Gilead most of the time in all the things that she says, all her great lines. So let's yeah. talk about the fact that when she's in Commander Lawrence's house, she is sort of seeing these cracks in the foundation of Gilead and kind of seeing how the uh, men don't exactly play by the rules. She mm-hmm. obviously is playing by, and I, I did note that there was kind of a nuns and priests vibe going on here where, you know, 
historically <laughs> the priests have been able to my wife went to catholic school i did not but she would always talk about how the you know the nuns always had this vow of poverty and uh, this priest that she had that was kind of the head of their school was he had like a stock portfolio and would talk about his money all the time and it was a very interesting dynamic yeah. there so there's a little bit of that going on so talk to me about lydia and where her character is kind of at right now with gilead you know she is completely unsettled by this experience with lawrence she's expecting the typical formalities uh, that happen when you bring a new handmaid into the household and she doesn't get it. She gets dismissed very quickly. She doesn't get to meet the wife and there's nothing she can do about it. So even though Lydia is kind of at the top of the food chain, as, as far as a woman can go in Gilead, there, are, there, there is a feeling for her uh, that she is uh, bucking against and uh, she is as powerless really as any of the other women when it comes down to it. You know, with Lydia, I'm not sure if it's so much um, her seeing cracks in in the Gilead system over the course of the season. I think what what happens is her relationship with June softens her, at least shows shows some softening because the welfare of the baby is really the, always at the heart of, of uh, Lydia. And whenever the baby's uh, well-being is in question, you will see that she if you want to say sides with June, you know, remember that episode where mm-hmm. she got the sense from June that, you know, the baby needs protection in the Waterford house. Lydia promised that that's not going to happen on her watch. Nothing, no harm will come to the baby. Uh, when June points out in, in this episode, Hey, you promised to take care of the baby. Why am I stuck here in the red center when I should be home nursing? Um, there's nothing Lydia can do about it in that moment but as soon as there's an opening when waterford brings the baby you see she becomes an advocate for june and the baby um, because it's best for the child so she's willing to stick her neck out um, and challenge in a very careful way a commander in this case waterford when it comes down to um, the health of the baby and maybe her kind of softening up uh, over the course of the season, backfires on her. Maybe it's a lesson she learns. We'll have to see. But right now, I think um, you know she's she's kind of um, a real advocate and in, in, in a strange way, a mother figure for June this season. Absolutely, she's just she's phenomenal. And I think that you guys have once again set this up at the end of this episode to where any character can go any direction and it is both frustrating and a credit to you guys uh, writing the show in such a way that you just keep us guessing so kudos to you guys oh thank you so much it's great to hear that and that's exactly where we hope the audience is right before the finale i think it's it's a fantastic season ender i i'm it's powerful and emotional and there's there are a lot of surprises and it's very satisfying things happen that um, you might not expect but when they unfold i think um, the viewer will be rewarded i'm glad people have hung in i know there's been a lot of uh concern that it's a very dark season and um i think you know keep watching and uh, we should talk after the finale <laughs> well said spoken like a true writer very good Eric Tuckman, thank you so much for joining us on uh, the Mayday podcast, and we appreciate it. And hell of an episode that you just put out for us this week. And uh, hopefully we can follow, follow up with you again down the line and see what else is happening with the show. I would love that. Thank you so much.